This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Download the app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. Hello, everyone. My name is Corey. As always, I am joined by Brendan. We are coming to you on Sunday, April 9th. The Cubs winning their first series of the year. Brendan taking two of three Mm -hmm. from the visiting Texas Rangers as they finish their first week and a half, their first few series here of baseball in the 2023 season, four and four, and even 500. They got over on Saturday, back to even. Uh, But we are going to break down the week that was, uh, talking a little bit about the Cubs and Reds earlier in the week and primarily on the Cubs and Rangers over this weekend and get you ready for another week of Cubs baseball that starts at beautiful historic Wrigley Field on Monday night against the Seattle Mariners. We will talk Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele dominating at the top of the Cubs order. Dansby Swanson, just mm. I, I, if if you are Mm-mm-mm. a Cubs fan, if you live in the city of Chicago, if you watch them from anywhere across the world, and you have not fallen <laughs> deeply, madly in love with Dansby Something's Swanson, I don't know. I think you're I you're in a very small yeah. minority. Uh, he's un- he's point. unbelievable. Yes, we will talk all things Dansby Swanson. We'll talk little Nico Horner, Ian Happ, Ooh. Cody Bellinger, some of the trends and and plate discipline things we're seeing from members of the Cubs offense so far. We'll talk a little bit about what the Cubs are doing as far as the bullpen goes and how they are getting it done at the back end of games. We are going to break it all down. But Brendan, first, generally, I think after this first week and a half, I feel pretty good about this team. I feel pretty good about this team. I feel better now than I did even going into opening day. My feelings for them being, I think, maybe better than we thought is because that top of the rotation looks good. And it looks as if, at least to start the season, some of the trends we saw in September, in August, in July, they're they're carrying over specifically Steele's trends. And if the top of the rotation is stable and they get back-end help with, with, with Wisniewski progressing, and you imagine Smiley will stabilize, then the pitching is really projectable. And that is going to give me confidence going forward in figuring out if this team is a playoff team. And I'm sure it will give Jed and the front office confidence figuring out if that's a playoff team to invest in at the trade deadline. So seeing those performances like stabilize for me is the most important thing to start a season. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've seen a, a good range of games here, but I think the thing that stands out to me the most uh, for this team at four and four and just looking at how these games have played out, I think in general, you're seeing a lot of the stuff that you would want to see if this team was going to be competitive, interesting, whatever you want to call it, compete for a uh, one of those last wild card spots or compete for the NL Central if it's not a division that has a runaway, you know, 95, 105 game winner. Well, right? that's going to be the Cubs now. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, you're just seeing a lot of that stuff, and it does start with the top of that rotation. You're getting really yeah. good starting pitching for the most part, uh, especially from your top guys. Jamison Tyone uh, is having really bad Babbitt luck, um, and not to make excuses, he needs to miss more bats. I think that'll come. He needs with to time. command better, yeah. Uh, but you know, he is currently one of those guys who's sporting a hefty ERA and in in a FIP uh, that doesn't agree with that. Right? Um, bad defense on Sunday, but. The, the the main point is like you're getting good pitching. The bullpen looks to be able to get the job done for the most part. Yeah. Again, as with any bullpen, you're going to have some shuffling. You're going to have some guys in roles that they need to learn in, take some lumps in, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it looks good on the whole and it will come together, right? As it has in years past. And the offense has found ways to get it done, right? They are generally, not in every game, but generally taking extra bases, making smart decisions on the base paths, uh, making good plays in the field. Sunday, not not their best example of that, but uh, in general, right? They are doing some of those things that we wanted them to do in terms of cleaning up on the margins. Yeah, the offense too, I feel as if it's making adjustments to get them to that next level. You've seen guys, we're going to talk about it this episode. I think I'm excited about it. I, I'm, I'm surprised by it. But you're seeing plate 
approach changes. You're seeing plate discipline improvements. And I'm wondering, small sample size to start the season, but I'm wondering if those are authentic, long-lasting changes. We'll talk about Dansby Swanson's plate discipline, Cody Bellinger's plate discipline, Patrick Wisdom's plate discipline. And I'm thinking, okay, you have this starting pitching staff that to start the year, the top-end guys were projected basically all three with Tyone, Stroman, Steele, around two wins each, two war each. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you have Stroman, who prior to last year with COVID and some of the shoulder early season issues, he was averaging around three and a half wins per year. So I'm thinking, okay, if he's projected at two wins now, and if he reaches just his recent career track record of three and a half wins, what does that look like when you have Steele continuing to throw like this with those two dominant pitch types? He's projected right now at one and a half war. What if he reaches that next step, continues to look like this? Three wins is not out of the question, even at a minimum. Then you have Tyone, who's throwing seven different pitch types. I know he needs to improve that command, which is obvious, but you can imagine a scenario where they're outperforming their pitching projections at just the top end of the rotation, not even anyone else, by at minimum three wins. And then some of the plate discipline improvements that we're seeing in the natural progression of some of the guys, th- this is where the Cubs make the playoffs. They outperform those initial mm-hmm. projections and they and they take that next step forward. And to model that with confidence is really difficult to do. And it's not to say it's going to happen, but this is why baseball is exciting because most times than not, the projections have a huge degree of error. And the degree of error that gets the Cubs to the playoffs is going to be because they didn't accurately project those top three guys in their rotation. They didn't project some of these guys to take the next steps in their play approach and play discipline. Yeah. And I think we're seeing the early signs of that, and it gets me excited. Yeah, and I, it, it all goes, I, I think, you know, a lot of that is like a better way of articulating what I was trying to say, but it, it's mm-hmm. just that you just sort of see how this team can win games, right? When right. we came into the season, you had a vision for that, and you needed to see it actually happen in reality, and I think we've seen that in the games that they've won, and even just their general play, even in the games that they haven't won, like they are getting winnable starting pitching, Right. Yeah. Are they going to have a Cy Young winner? I don't know. Like, maybe not. But, I mean, if you're only going on two starts, maybe, right? They would have a couple <laughs> contenders if we're only looking at two starts. But they're getting winnable starting pitching. They generally play good defense and have some really elite defenders on this team. And the offense has been, you know, scrappy enough and found a way to execute in some of these games to make that Mm -hmm. pitching hold up that's how they're going to win games right we know they're not going to blow teams out all the time but I just think you've seen it in some of these games like hey this is how this team is going to win we go back to like that first win against the Brewers or Marcus Stroman uh again you know uh pitching a, a shutout in you know six innings on Friday like close games they don't score a lot of runs but they just get it done right? They, right. they, their pitcher gets a lot of ground balls that their middle infield scoops up. They scratch across a couple runs, uh, against a pitcher throwing a good game against them and they call it a day, right? They good, get good pitching from the bullpen and that's it. So I, I'm, I'm excited that we've seen that, but I, I want to talk about Dansby Swanson, Brendan. Can we please? I was waiting for that, Corey. Like, oof. I, I can't oof. imagine how this could have started <laughs> any better um you know firstly just you look at the stat line right he's hitting 375 with uh, a 459 on base percentage and 897 ops he hasn't homered yet uh but he's got three rbis stolen a base 12 hits and 32 at bats he just looks great his defense as we've talked about one of those things you knew was elite but then you see it and it's on your team and you're watching it every day. And I think you gain like a kind of new appreciation, like a, oh, like, yeah, it really is that yeah, good, right? Kind of thing. But there, there's just the kind of next level that I think everybody kind of really noticed on Saturday when he scored that run from first to make it 10 to 2. And his reaction when he got to home and, you know, they caught... The, the Rangers defense sleeping. It was, again, another example of like the Cubs being aggressive on the base paths and taking those little extra things when they can. But his reaction when he got to home, you'd think that they had just won the pennant, right? <laughs> and you brought up 
I think when Ian Happ hit the first home run of the year, that he was the first guy at the top of the steps, right? Mm -hmm. And so what is just so clear and really standing out to not just me, I think everybody is, is sort of picking up on this if you haven't already, like he is the perfect person for to to lead us into this next era of Cubs baseball and you're seeing that we heard all off season from him how much he talks about winning 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 everybody that they interviewed is like dude this guy is obsessed with winning we hear it right but then you start to see it in everything that he's doing and the leader that he clearly is and wants to be right we spent all off season debating which shortstop you know, who's going to be better, who has the better bad, which is the better this. And, you know, these are some decade-long contracts, right? We can't answer that in eight games that the Cubs have played. But everything that Dansby has said, everything that he has done on the field, every little action that you watch him, he's the perfect guy. He is the leader of this team, and as we head into the, this next era, when PCA comes up, when Matt Mervis comes up, when Brennan Davis comes up, if they're recruiting Shohei Otani in the offseason, Dansby Swanson is the guy to lead us yeah. into that next era. Yeah, everything he's doing is spectacular. That's the best way to describe his defense. So some of those plays he was making with Nico, they look simple, the double plays. There was one on Saturday where he feels it very cleanly with his glove, easy toss to Nico. Like those are difficult plays. And even earlier in the week, he's backhanding baseballs with the infield in, throwing it home with ease, getting the out that way. Those are not easy plays to make, but he makes it look so easy. And even in the early going, Corey, he has 0.7 war already within the first handful of games. He's projected to be on pace for the same amount of value he produced last year on six and a half war. But the one trend that is drawing my interest, and it's still early and the sample size is still small, but Dansby throughout his career has had these unpredictable changes in plate discipline. For example, when he debuted as a rookie, his contact rate was around 77%. That's about league average. He was not the power guy that he showed last season when he hit 25 home runs, nor the prior season when he hit 27 home runs. He did that by having a contact rate in those two seasons much lower at around 70-71%. So he sacrificed contact to hit more home runs. Typically, power hitters do that, right? The question for Dansby that I had, and I know many others had as well, was how is that bat going to age if he's not able to make that much contact while simultaneously naturally not being able to hit for that much power? And so the thinking was, man, if he's going to be whiffing this much and not hitting for that power, I don't know if that bat's going to be as valuable as it was. But in the early going here, he's showing a complete change in plate discipline. First off, his whiff rate is where it was when he debuted. It's only been about 35 plate appearances. And these statistics stabilize between 50 to 100 plate appearances, which means that in that sample, more of the number is attributed to the player himself than like randomness. So we're almost getting to that point. But this is important because if Dansby is going to be having a contact rate around 77%, then a lot of the whiff concerns that people have had in past may be starting to change due to a concert, due to a conscious effort to change. And then his chase rate, this is this is bizarre. Uh, this I mean bizarre in a good way. He had the best chase rate in the National League going into Sunday's game. So his chase rate was 14%, Corey. That is like way better than what we saw from Dexter Fowler, Ben Zobris in years past. Like this is a noticeable change. So I'm wondering, and likewise, this takes him around the same time to stabilize his contact rate. I'm wondering if this is a conscious effort to change. And that's something we won't know right away, but we'll be able to have an idea as games progress. And yeah, he has not hit a home run yet, but I'm wondering if this is like intentional. And if it is, like I can buy it. I know maybe some people will not like it because they want to see more power and I get that. But from an aging perspective, like 
I want to see Dansby's bat be projectable. And for me, having more contact is going to give me more confidence that's the case. That is, in addition to what he's been doing, the biggest sign of encouragement for me is this this noticeable change in play discipline. Yeah, I, you know, it's just one of those things where like, I, it, it far be it for me to question like the Atlanta Braves, right? Like they're obviously really good at what they're doing. They've been putting a great team on the field. They've shown a really better than I think anyone ability to lock up their but players. But you think they messed up. <laughs> I, I Just for a, a guy from Kennesaw, Georgia, right? Yeah. And I'm watching him every day and I'm texting some of my friends that are Braves fans being like, man, like, thank you for like not extending this guy because he's incredible and everybody's yeah. just so enamored with him. And he's immediately just stepped into you. You, It's not to say that like other guys on this team didn't have this attitude. Cause like, I think Nico has like a real fire and a passion. Well, even David same, Ross has like said Nico and, and Dansby are the same person. Yeah. Like they have yeah. that passion, but you just look at like it, 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 it oozes off the screen. Like even when you're just watching on TV, like you just feel his leadership and his energy and this just sort of like winning mentality that he talked about relentlessly. Like it just like is, is shining off of him. And it it just feels like something that the Cubs desperately needed. Like they just needed this guy to come in. And like I said, just kind of like shepherd us into this next era and be that face and the person who is kind of just at the forefront of it and he's just the perfect person for that and I think you know you look at what he was playing through on Saturday too which I think is is probably uh, a good you know explanation for some of the extra emotion that we saw even though you know his run in that that later inning made it a 10 to 2 game uh, but Mallory Swanson, who is one of the you know biggest stars in women's soccer, uh, and who you know Dansby obviously married earlier uh, in this off season, uh, tore her patella in a game like right before the Cubs took the field on Saturday, and you just read these quotes and and you know from him and and David Ross and some of the guys like Trey Mancini talked about it. Um, but I, I want to read this quote from, from David Ross uh, via Jordan Bastion of Cubs.com. Quote, he was playing with a lot of emotion, a heavy heart yesterday for sure. He's watching his wife play soccer, and then we flipped it all on the TV in there. I just kept communicating with him, and I asked him if he was all right. He said, yeah, it's time to go to work. Like, I, I can't imagine that, right? We're a couple months from the World Cup. And, and Mallory has been one of the best, I think, if not the best player on, on the women's national team. She plays for the Chicago Red Stars here in Chicago. And to watch that and then flip the switch and just be like, I got to go to work. I have to be the leader. Like, I, I need to take care of business here. Like, I, I, I can't even imagine having that mental fortitude to do that. And then he goes yeah. out and he's taking extra bases. He's exploding at the plate. I, I, I'm... Again, it's eight games, right? And so for anybody, when you look at uh, the the statistics, you know, if we're going to look at guys that are doing really well, you got to look at the guys that are doing really poorly, right? Like no matter what, it's a small sample. But everything that we have seen from him on the field has been great. Obviously, the eight-game yeah. sample has been great at the plate. But everything that we have seen off the field from Dansby it just makes the the signing and everything that Jed said and all of that talk throughout the offseason, you just go, yeah, hey, I think you guys nailed this. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of an obvious <laughs> an obvious good deal at this point. Of course, you guys see how it plays out for the next you know, six years. But I understand why teams did not want to give Dansby that contract of committing almost $180 million. Just given maybe the uncertainty with that bat and looking at how it's changed over the years, and I, I get that. There's a different way of looking at that, though, and this is kind of how I've changed even my own thinking prior to when the Cubs were thinking about signing Dansby. I, too, looked at that. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if this is going to be like a good investment long term because of this volatility. But as I'm learning more about Dansby and as I've learned more about Dansby throughout the offseason— this guy, this this guy's different, man. Like this guy understands his game so well, 
in the same vein, how we talk about Christopher Morel changing and changing fast and being able to adapt fast, and some other guys being able to do the same thing, Dick Dansby's in that same conversation. I still want to emphasize this. The fact that he started his career as like a contact first guy, league average contact rate, to intentionally changing the way he hits to hit more home runs, that is insanely difficult to do. And now he's perhaps doing it again under this pressure. This is this is not a normal baseball player, man. And he does this by playing every single day, 162 games. And to your point, with his wife going down with like a severe knee injury, tearing your patella, and his first thought is, I'm going to be a professional. This is not a normal person, Corey. So to me, to say for me, like, oh, you know, his bat's going to age poorly, I I don't know. Like, this is, first off, a different era of baseball, and you're dealing with a human being here that is, like, one of those rare, ultra-psycho, you know, athletes. This, this is someone you just cannot bet against, and I think a lot of the numbers and the trends we're talking about will actually coincide with that type of thinking. All right, so quick break here from our sponsor. DraftKings Sportsbook is the official betting partner of CHGO and All City. Sign up using code CHGO. You can download the app now. Sign up with code CHGO. If you do so, you can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Again, use that code CHGO. The playoffs for the NBA are coming up. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Second break here from our sponsor, GameTime. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. I've used Game Time in the past. I just used Game Time to get tickets to spring training games. I used Game Time to get tickets to hockey games during the offseason. Uh, I was traveling to Arizona last second. I wanted to go to a Coyotes game, Corey, you know, PHNX. Shout out over there. I got my tickets through Game Time like four hours before the game, super fast. If you do download the Game Time app, create an account and use code CHGO for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CHGO for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Brendan, I want to talk pitching. I We literally could talk okay. about Dansby for three hours. I was hoping, I was hoping we could, but yeah. okay. Um, I mean, and he had that the the double play uh, over the weekend against know, the Rangers, where he I just know. scooped it with his glove. I mean, come on, That's you know what I mean? Saying, I, that right? that I think just, he's flirting with you. I really do. Ugh, I've watched a thousand like straight times. to Nika. I mean, I it's like okay, I all know, right, I this know, is NSFW. Um, yeah, but I, I want to get into some of the pitching, and namely uh, the top of this Cubs rotation, uh, Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele. So uh, over the weekend, you know, just like the a loose recap, right? As as we transition to a, a weekly episode, I'm I'm not going to read the box scores of you know five or six games. Um, I I think we would lose a lot of listeners that way, Brendan. Um, but quickly. Two to nothing on Friday, Cubs win. Ten to three on Saturday, Cubs win. Eight to two on Sunday, the Cubs lose. But the 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 really important thing for me in in those first two games, the first two uh, games that the Cubs win, uh, the pitching. Marcus Stroman on Friday, six innings, two hits, no runs, three walks, six strikeouts, uh, eight ground balls, no flyouts for Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday, Justin Steele, and he tweeted this. Marcus Stroman replied to a Cubs tweet on Saturday uh, about, you know, Steele and the boys doing the thing with the electric crowd at Wrigley Field. And Justin Steele replied, I'm just following your lead. And that's really what he's done in both of these starts. And I love, I, I just love that attitude, right, of them kind of building off of each other. Uh, but Steele on Saturday, six innings, four hits, one earned run, four walks, and three strikeouts. Uh, and in, you know, more walks than you'd like to see. But as they discussed on the marquee broadcast, Steele doesn't really get barreled at all. He has one of the lowest barrel rates in the league, so he can live around uh, a few extra walks uh, to avoid 
the middle of the zone in those barrels. Uh, but then you you take it a step back and you think, okay, like let's look at what these guys did in their first starts, right? So now you've got two starts from both of them and four starts total between the top two guys in this rotation, four quality starts, six innings each, both time. Combined, 24 innings pitched, just that one earned run from Steele on Saturday between the both of them. Marcus Stroman has yet to give up a run, 25 strikeouts, and 11 walks. Mm. Like, that's getting it done, dude. And, you know, for me, this is Justin Steele continuing what he's been doing. Uh, Bleacher Nation had a great stat that going back to June 29th of last year, there is one person in all of Major League Baseball with a lower ERA than Justin Steele, and that is a fellow Justin, Justin Verlander. Clayton Kershaw in third, 1.86. Justin Steele at 1.49. Justin Verlander, 1.26. Incredible from Justin Steele. But Building on that, before I throw it to you to kind of break down how they're doing it, I'm really pleased to see Stroh get off to this start, right? He had such a a rocky beginning to his Cubs career with, you know, he had a bout of COVID, he had the shoulder thing, he was pitching. I remember at least one of those games was like in a monsoon at, at Wrigley Field, and that's all coming after the lockout and stuff like that. But then... At, at a point for him, you know, similar to Steele, he was lights out for a long run at, you know, for the majority of 2022 last year. And I'm just really pumped to see him start the season yeah. this way because you look at the way he pitched for the majority uh, of that back end of 2022 and for him to start the season this way, it just gets you excited, right? Because you just figure as the season goes on, he's going to get more efficient. He's going to go deeper into games. He's going to settle in more. And if that looks like what it did last year and he's already starting like this, he's in for a big year, right? And they are setting the pace at the top of this Cubs rotation. They are doing everything that you could possibly want them to be doing as a one and two in this rotation, and it's just beautiful. It's to beautiful see. to see. You see the command from Strowman, pretty sharp. Few pitches, maybe not where you want them thrown, but the bulk majority have been thrown towards the edges. In the sinker, he's throwing it more than like when he threw it last year. But if you look at the sinker usage now compared to last year, basically matches what we saw in the second half of last season. So he's throwing a pitch almost basically two out of every five pitches. That's how often he's using that sinker. Getting ground balls, locating it down and in to right-handed batters. You see it. He's coming back with the slider, complete opposite side of the window, commanding that pitch exceptionally well. Cutter looks great, throwing that in the same window as the slider. Splitter, also using it Fairly often, 8% of the time, it's run almost 15 times this season. That's in the same window as the sinker. So you understand the logic. He's going to go down and in to right-handed batters with the sinker. Occasionally can go up and in to right-handed batters. And then he'll use that same window with the splitter to get the whiff. Likewise, cutter, harder pitch, down and away to right-handed batters, maybe down and in to lefties, and you can finish off in the same window with a slower breaking pitch in that slider, which is actually being classified as a slurve now. I don't understand some of these classifications sometimes, but that's what it's being classified as. has about 15 inches of horizontal break, so it is pretty you know, loopy, so maybe that's why, and the velocity is not quite there, but nevertheless, throw in sinker, cutter, slurve, splitter, um, has a faster slider as well, and not throwing the four seam as much as he did to start last season. And that's the difference with Stroman. Last season, came up at the Cubs, no spring training, had the COVID bout, like you said, some of the monsoon games he was pitching in, the shoulder fatigue. When he came back, he was using a four seam almost as if he were using the sinker, where he was throwing it four, two out of every five pitches. No more. He strictly... Sinker, guy, slurb, cutter, splitter, slider, and the four seam. He's only thrown eight four seams the entire season. So this is who he is. He's getting the weak contact. He's hitting the edges. And you imagine if this continues, you know, when he when he had a 3.8 war season in 2021, you can imagine this is probably going to be towards the same trajectory unless something crazy changes. So Strowman's encouraging, man. And maybe he's not the ace as you 
would hope for with getting whiffs and being on the same type of like level as you imagine. He's just mentioned Verlander and those guys. Like he's probably not that, but he's a top of the rotation guy who's a workhorse who has a dynamic repertoire that can be the deployed against multiple different types of lineups, heavy lefty lineups, heavy righty lineups, and have some consistency, Corey. So this is exactly who the Cubs signed. He's having success. He's feeling confident. He looks like he's in midseason form, and this is the perfect time for the Cubs to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I tweeted over the weekend, uh, if you look at the MLB box scores, they only classify uh, flyouts and groundouts. Uh, obviously, they count strikeouts too, so they don't classify lineouts in the bottom of the box score. But when you're looking at those two numbers, uh, in his first start, he got uh, seven ground bo- groundouts, eight yeah. strikeouts. Second start, uh, eight groundouts and six strikeouts. No balls classified as flyouts on yeah. either day, right? And again, there's some line drives, which you know you don't want, but the point is, right? that we knew, and he said this about his sinker, right? And the way, you know, he kind of said it in his cool way, maybe people didn't think he was literally saying, no, this is the game plan, right, about his sinker. It is, right? Let them put the ball on the ground. He's he's racking up strikeouts, right? So it's not like he's not striking guys out. But on in the at-bats and plate appearances where you can't strike guys out, Keep it on yeah. the ground and out of the air. It is a brilliant recipe for a pitcher like Stroman. It's an even better recipe when you have one of the best middle infield defenses in the league back there behind you to scoop up no all doubt. those ground balls. Just a brilliant beginning of the season for Stroman and a really just a continuation of what he was doing last year for Justin Steele. He continues to prove, I think, a lot of people wrong that you know, scouts and those types that didn't necessarily believe he could pitch like this and pitch at the top of the rotation, but he continues to do it. And as I mentioned, they talked about this on Marquee. He just doesn't get barreled, dude. Guys just do not square Justin Steele up the way that they do other pitchers. And it's it's just wonderful to see. And I mentioned the tweets between the two of them because I love that attitude, right? They're building on each other. They want to challenge each other and they want to go out there and continue to set the pace for the rest of this rotation that I expect as time goes on is going to fall more in line with them. Yeah, the steel development has been so surprising and you're you're seeing it on a start-to-start basis. At this point, I'm wondering, wondering if it's even like noteworthy to keep mentioning it, but he's just a two-pitch dominant guy. He's from the same mold as the Chris Archers from the years past. And, you know, it's this is kind of what you have to expect going forward. He has a wicked slider. He has a cut rising fastball that is very difficult to replicate across the league. And he's locating the pitches where he wants them to be thrown. And when he's missing, they're competitive misses and hitters can't pick up on it. And he's missing up and away with that cut rising fastball and hitters are swinging through it. He had a a K per nine last year to finish the season at 9.5 batters per game. Uh, That was obviously skewed towards the second half when he was having his success. This is who the Cubs have now, man. They have a a heavy strikeout lefty pitcher that has a slider that rated better than 90% of Major League Baseball from a horizontal movement, release point, velocity, uh, break different from his fastball than most guys in the league. And he has a four-seam cut rising fastball that rated similarly 90% better than other pitchers in the league. So at this point, how can Justin Steele be projected as not an above average guy like that's and that's the point that I keep trying to hammer down when I when I when I talk about this team it's like when when these models are being made to project guys they they weigh the last three seasons and then they weigh their seasons with historical comparisons and you draw from a sample that's from like five years ago ten years ago and what doesn't get weighted appropriately is some of these more recent changes. And why should you try to weight them? They're impossible to weight because there's such a high degree of randomness. The only way to know if these guys are actually changing for the long term is to be this in tune with their pitching. And you're seeing Justin Steele success directly related to changes he's been talking about 
with his command going down and in with his fastball, with his slider doing the same type of thing and having competitive misses as a result. So yeah, man, like this is so surprising to see and to have Steele be this guy at the top of the rotation on every fifth day basis is absolutely huge for this team. And among the rest of the team, no other players giving me more confidence to expect more from the Cubs than Justin Steele. This is huge for me, Corey. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we hit our, our second ad break, I'm curious, you know, your thoughts just on uh, the other members of the rotation. As I mentioned, Jamison Tyone, I think pitching better than his ERA would suggest, but still not pitching great, right? Um, Drew Smiley had a rough debut in Cincinnati, got hit around pretty good, four and two-thirds, nine hits, six earned, seven total runs, two walks, three strikeouts, gives up a home run, Uh, and then probably not the debut that Hayden Wisniewski was hoping for, uh, even though I I think it was fine, all things considered, four and two-thirds, six hits, three earned, two walks, and four strikeouts, two home runs. I think the command clearly wasn't there for Hayden. His stuff wasn't as sharp. Uh, but you know, to to stay out there and keep the team in the game uh, and only give up three runs there, and ultimately the team did win the game, right? Uh, it was pretty important for him to kind of gut that one out. But of, of the you know, we're gushing about Stroh yeah. and Steele, but any you know, th- standout thoughts uh, from this week from the other three members of this? Yeah, it's, you know, with Snesky, I thought that was a net positive. Of course, the command wasn't there. the The biggest driver for his success last season, of course stuff is off the charts but the biggest driver was that command similarly to how his stuff was rated so high so too was his command so he was hitting the edges with more frequency than like 90 percent of pitchers in the league as well so for Wisniewski to have success I think he still needs to show that top level of command and the reason is because he doesn't have that fastball that Steele has and that is going to be the biggest argument against Wisniewski getting to that next level, that fastball. So if Wisniewski misses with the fastball, it likely won't be as competitive as a Justin Steele miss with that fastball because the underlying stuff is just not as good. So with Wisniewski, what you saw was the velocity being up. He was throwing some sinkers at like 98 miles per hour, but he was throwing them with more vertical movement down. You don't really want that. There was more tail on the pitch, which means it has more of a propensity to leak out over the middle of the plate. And that's what you saw. The velocity was up. The command suffered perhaps as a result. Who knows? And going forward, he needs to dial in on that fastball to have success. And this is something he knows about. Like He even said verbatim, that his fastball needs to just be average. He said he needs his fastball to be average. He knows like that's kind of his weakness right now. Slider, even with that fastball problem, off the charts stuff is just off the charts. 18 inches of horizontal break, well above league average. Uh, cutter, also looked decent. He has the stuff, right? It's just for him dialing in on that command and getting that fastball to the point where it is league average is gonna be how he's gonna be successful. For me though, if the velocity sustains itself, if he's going to throw 96 miles per hour at that fastball, then it does give him a little bit more wiggle room for those competitive misses. And it doesn't, it makes him not rely so heavily in hitting the edges. And so that is why I thought the start was a net positive was because he showed this like big improvement in velocity. So I'm wondering going forward, if that velocity will sustain itself in a way that he can make up for maybe some of the slight command problems that we're going to see. But overall, I feel pretty good about Wisniewski. All right, so a quick break here from our sponsor, Shady Rays. Take on the sun with gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. You can know you can use code CHGO for 50% off. Shady Rays is an independent sunglass company that offers a worldwide 
world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for all outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase. From building playsets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS, the outdoor adventure of a lifetime Shady Rays is making an impact in your community and others like it now and for years to come. If you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back exclusively for you guys. Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com. Use that code CHGO for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. Another break here from our sponsor, FOCO. Chicago, you've already got the best coverage for your favorite team, so get fitted out in the best sports gear around. FOCO has you covered. From Soldier Field to the living room, north or south side, with hoodies, slippers, signs, bobbleheads, and everything in between. Get decked out like DeMar with apparel from the leader in sports merch and collectibles. Looking for the perfect gift for the football fan or baseball fan? In your life, FOCO has you covered with hoodies to fight that Lake Michigan breeze. Check out FOCO.com or click the link in the description below of this episode. For all non-presale items, use promo code CHGO for 10% off. All right, Brendan. So uh, as you were wrapping up, any thoughts uh, further on Jamison Tyone or Drew Smile? Yeah, you know, I thought uh, Smiley Smiley was a little discouraging. I, it's it's so hard to say. Oh, I'm you know freaking out early on, but with Smiley, that margin of error is just so small because he doesn't get those whiffs. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Right, the Cubs have a lot of pitching depth. That even if Smiley somehow starts to regress a little bit, I'm still confident they have the durability to get through those uh, starts. As far as Tyone goes, you know, stuff looks good, right? The the bloop hits he's giving up is something that you imagine won't continue going forward. But nevertheless, he needs to miss more bats. Like he can't be giving up that much contact going forward as well. So it's kind of a mixed bag of results. But for him, you want to see him comfortable with his pitch mix. And what we saw against the start in the Rangers was a very different pitch mix from what we saw against the start to debut with the Cubs. When he was debuting, he was throwing his cutter like basically two out of every five pitches because he was facing a heavy lefty lineup. And then against the Rangers, a little bit more righty heavy. So in that start, he went with his more traditional pitch mix, more curveballs, more uh, forcing fastballs. And in the start against the Rangers, the command was leaky on his curveball. And he said it in the postgame that he felt more robotic in his mechanics. And I think that's just kind of language for not feeling like his normal self. And that's manifesting some of that leaky command. But from a stuff perspective, man, like even that slider, slider's rating above league average, dude. So like that sweeper we've been hearing about, it's, it's rating above league average. So that's awesome to see. And he threw that sweeper for the first time against the Rangers. He didn't throw it when he debuted with the Cubs because again, heavy lefty lineup, didn't want to showcase it. So you saw it against the Rangers. It's rating above league average, which is great to see. And he threw, you ready for this? Seven, seven different pitch types against the Rangers. That's awesome. That's going to be really dynamic against different lineups as the year progresses. The velocity is there. The stuff is there. The command needs to get ironed out and maybe going forward just get more luck in the outfield. A lot of, like, he's getting screwed by some of those right fielders um, out there, Corey. And, like, we will we'll touch, touch on, on that. that. And for me, yeah. as a fan, when I watch this, like I get frustrated with the lack of defensive uh, like value that we have right now on this roster that you could otherwise call up. We'll get into it. But ultimately, I think Tyone's like fine. I, I You want to see results like you saw with Stroman and Steele. But I think going forward, the stuff is there. The command will obviously improve, and, and we'll see those results stabilize out. You said that he throws seven. He yeah, threw man. seven different yeah. pitch types. I'm not impressed. Call me when he gets okay. to double digits, okay. like well, you, Darvish. Okay? I miss you, man. I miss you so much. Maybe one day we can be now with me them. or Darvish. Well, sometimes I miss you, but every 
You meant you with yeah, a capital yeah, yeah. Y. But you know what? Sometimes yeah. I miss you too, Corey. Why you? Okay. I know. Okay. But yeah, Tyone on, on Sunday, five innings, six hits, five runs, only four of them earned, just the one walk and seven strikeouts. Uh, I'm still very bullish on Jamison yeah. Tyone. So uh, we will touch on, on some of the roster stuff at the end, uh, but right now I'm going to dealer's choice okay. here, Brendan. There's two thi- There's two players I think that we haven't touched on that you're uh, particularly excited about this week, and I will give you uh, a choice. Would you like mm-hmm. to talk about Ian yeah. Happ or Michael Fulmer next? Oof, man, yeah. I forgot about, like, this This. This is how you know it's a good week, right? I forgot about, like, us talking about Ian Happ because his numbers are off the charts right now. I do want to talk about Fulmer mm-hmm. first. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. It's your choice. So last week we talked about Albert Alzali, right? And we wanted, I wanted Alzali maybe get closing chances. I thought the reason for that is because his slider is just so good. And that's like the best pitch in the bullpen. And I still actually still think that. Uh, Fulmer, what we saw in the last week, like I'm doing a 180 here. Okay. And I, th- I think I think it's logical to change your mind. Fulmer's throwing a sweeping slider, Corey, that has 19 inches of a horizontal break. We knew he was working on it during spring training. I didn't anticipate he was going to throw this pitch in high leverage situations on like the first week of the season. He's doing it. And now I'm starting to think, okay, uh, if one of his reasons for not being able to close out games last year with consistency was because he didn't have a wipeout pitch, now if he has that wipeout pitch, then what are we going to think here? And for him, he had a whiff rate of 27%. That's about four percentage points better than league average. But his strikeout rate was below league average. He lacked that wipeout pitch. The sweeping slider is rating well above league average. You saw him strike out Marcus Simeon. He made Simeon look like a fool on that 83 mile per hour sweeping slider. Struck him out. He's throwing change-ups in the same windows as these heavy-breaking sinkers up and into left-handed batters, which I love the Cubs doing. I'm thinking that if Fulmer is comfortable with this sweeping slider, and it looks as if he is, given he's throwing it about 10% of the time of his pitches, then that wipeout pitch becomes a realistic Thing to expect. And if that's the case, then the Cubs have a closer. And that changes, I think, the outlook of the entire bullpen. And I think it changes how maybe JIT operates at the trade deadline. If you don't have to go out and expend resources, whether it be in the form of like giving up cash considerations or giving up uh, you know, prospects, and you're able to maybe use and allocate some of your resources to shore up some of the other limitations on your roster, that is huge. And I think a big way that the Cubs can go about doing this is by having the back end of the bullpen secure. And for Fulmer, if he can secure that, I think that there is a possibility that's the case now because of having a wipeout pitch, that is unbelievably important for this team and something that should draw massive attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I when I tell you guys over the years, there's certain things that Brendan gets excited about that he's figured out that he texts me about. This was up there. Uh, he was like, "Cork, look at what I Michael Fowler like did." That. No, but I don't. I can only do so okay. many voice impressions. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Um, but it's not like excited. a for sure thing, so, though, right? Like sometimes it's something. Yeah, to monitor, I mean, sometimes yeah. when we talk about this, it's like, oh, you know, like there's. He needed that pitch, he, though, right? He needs a pitch he to get He needs a pitch to get yes. whiffs. He's throwing a pitch that you can project gets well above league average whiffs. So, therefore, I'm excited about the potential. It's logical. Yes. Thank you. That makes sense. Um, some other, you know, just bullpen performances from the week to highlight. Uh, Mark Leiter Jr. with a really nice and important yeah, inning good. on Friday. Uh, to follow Marcus Stroman, one inning, no hits, no runs, no walks, and a strikeout. Uh, hasn't given up a run on the year. I know our YouTube chat is in shambles about that, but we've been telling you, if you listen to the CHGO Cubs podcast, we talked about this in the post game a lot with our guys Cody and Luke and Ryan and you and I, Brendan, like he was really good as a reliever. You have to just try to forget what he did as a starter last year. It doesn't matter anymore. Uh, on Saturday, Keegan Thompson uh, walked a couple guys, but pitched around that. 
Uh, he did give up a, a single run, but uh, you know clearly was battling a little bit. And I think for him to get out of that and get out of it uh, without major damage, and you know at the time hold the lead at what it was before the Cubs blew yeah. it open uh, in the seventh and eighth inning was a really nice performance from Keegan Thompson. Brad Boxberger hasn't given up a run yeah, on the year. Good. He looks really good. So some good performances out of the bullpen. So uh, you were talking about Ian Happ and some stuff you're looking at with him. Uh, just overall on the year so far, 2023, 370 batting average, 528 on base percentage, 593 slugging percentage. He's got the one home run, has driven in six, uh, and just looks really good, continues to look really comfortable and nice out there in left field, obviously coming off of winning a gold glove. Um, He looks really good. We've talked about this a lot. We talked about it through the offseason. You know, depends what your plans are, but he's certainly playing like a guy you might want to keep around, uh, even if the Cubs seem to maybe not agree with that. Another trend to monitor Ian Happ's play discipline. He's done this in years past, different hitter in years past, but, you know, maybe he's changing again. You saw that walk rate. You just listed those numbers off. OBP of 528. He's walked nine times in 36 plate appearances to go with those 10 hits. A walk rate of 25%. That chase rate is 20%. So I'm thinking of a scenario when Seiya Suzuki comes back, Corey. You have Dansby Swanson's chase rate of 15%. You have Ian Happ's chase rate of 22%. You have Seiya Suzuki's projected chase rate of like 20 to 22%. You have a two- three, four hitting trio that makes a lot of loud contact while only swinging at good pitches to hit. That sounds like a very difficult lineup to get through. And as the season progresses here in the early going, you better believe I'll be monitoring those plate discipline improvements because from Dancy's perspective and from Ian Half's perspective, those are so important to getting them to consistent, reliable, offensive success. And a couple that with Seiya Suzuki coming back would be so big for this lineup. And you can yeah. imagine those three with Nico leading off, it just it's going to cause a lot of headaches for pitchers. And Ian Happ is looking like that guy. And yeah, man, like maybe, you know, it's talking about in-season extensions is always difficult for the Cubs and it's still so early on. But you, you do start to wonder if this continues with Happ, like he's going to be one of the biggest bats on the market. You kind of wonder if this is just like naturally leading to free agency where the Cubs just don't extend him or don't even think about giving him that contract because he is going to maybe get a ton of money on the open market. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, we've talked about the extension situation. Um, It's a difficult one, as we talked about, just because uh, a lot of the Cubs you know, top prospects are outfielders. Um, you have Ian Happ looking like, I mean, literally a top yeah, five, man. I think even higher than that, free agent in that next class with some of the guys that have signed extensions and stuff like that. Just where he's positioned himself uh, to earn a, a really nice contract for himself. I'm just not sure that both sides are going to be on the same page, but ultimately, you know, look, it's early in the season. There's plenty of time to figure that out if you want to. At the end of the day, I remain just, uh, one, he is on the team right now, right? So we don't have to talk about the offseason. It's not funny how our minds uh, go that towards that, though, like right away. It's like, oh, what about the offseason? Well, they were talking about it, you know what I mean? Like, they're doing all those yeah. interviews and stuff. It's hard yeah. not to, but um, well, and as he continues to look like this player, you start to go, hey, wait a minute, like maybe they right. should have, right? Like if you didn't already think that. Um, but, you know, one, he's going to be a big player for this team in 2023 as this year continues. But also, I just remain really happy for him, right? Uh, and for the organization, for, you know, everybody just sort of reaching And this for point, us too, the right? fans. Like he had... Yes, yes, I'm always happy for us. Um, you know, he had such an up and down beginning to his career, you know, uh, being sent down and, you know, just playing different positions and trying to find his role in the early going of his career. And for him to have put it all together in the way that he did last year um, in winning the gold glove, getting those accolades, and now, you know, starting 2023, you know, sort of just like planting that flag, like this is who I am as a player. I've spent a lot of time making these adjustments and making these strides and and getting better in all of these facets of the game, whether it's fielding or his K rate or plate discipline, whatever it is, and he just looks like that player. So I'm going to enjoy it for 
this season and we'll we'll revisit that when we need to revisit it but I'm happy for him he's put in a lot of work to be this player and to see him not only do it last year but carry that over into this year uh you know really nobody deserves it more uh than Ian so you look at the offense right now right we have some guys that maybe shouldn't be playing that often, right? right? You have like, you know, third base, Nick Madrigal, maybe um, some right field defensive things that are not quite there. How do you feel about the offense in, in general? How do you feel about the offense, even when say it comes back as some of the playing time for these guys? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest concern for me um, is guys playing out of position, right? You and I talked before we got on here. I actually, and and you know, this is something that's been true the entire time. We kind of joke about my feelings on Madrigal, yeah, you love but him. like, I I've said repeatedly that that type of bat, if he can stay healthy, uh, which again is you know not something I I don't like blaming guys for getting hurt, um, but it is something he needs to do. That type of bat is useful. And the way that the Cubs have played him, I think, for the majority of this year is, you know, he's not starting every day. I think that's fine, right? I don't like him playing out of position, but there's nowhere else for him to play, right? But I think pairing that contact bat with the power, just like raw power of guys like Patrick Wisdom and Edwin Rios, I I don't hate it right? Especially if you're mixing and matching those and um, you're deferring to wisdom more often than not. My general concern though, right, like is just guys playing out of position. Um, Trey Mancini does not look good in right field. In fact, I would say he looks terrible in right field. Um, Patrick Wisdom, I think is fine in right field, but he's, he he doesn't, he's, he's not great, making plays right? out in right field. And they're yeah. right. They're not making those game-changing plays. And in some cases, they're making plays that hurt, yeah. right? Mancini has taken just some awful routes on balls. And when you build a pitching staff on getting ground balls and converting plays on defense and, you know, pitching in defense is kind of your thing because you're not going to score 12 runs a game, you just need better than that, Right. Um, and you know, again, like a credit to Madrigal, he put in the work at third base. He made a terrible throw on Thursday, but he j- that was more like a rushed decision. But uh, but than you, when your internal clock is not calibrated because you don't play that position, that's what happens. Right? Yes, exactly. Right. He's put that, and that's my point. And you know, it even goes to someone like uh, Mastroboni when everyone was debating whether he should have dove in that game earlier in the season against the Brewers. Like he's played a lot of innings in right field, but he's not primarily yeah. a right fielder, right? He came up in college and in the minors most of the time playing the infield, even if he, you know, it was 60-40, right? Infield, outfield. When you build a team the way the Cubs have, you need a legit right fielder. That's what you need. A guy that just plays the outfield and is good, if not great, at playing right field, right? And that's what they don't have. And you just have guys playing out of position. You have three catchers. You've got your third catcher getting picked off uh, when you're down by six runs in a game on Sunday in Luis Torrens. It, it just, it, it's it's not good, right? Uh, it's it's It just doesn't work for the strategy that the Cubs are employing. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't have the ability to overcome a lot of that stuff as this season goes on. Now, one of those things should get solved pretty quickly, right? Say a Suzuki's been rehabbing in Iowa. He looks good. He's gotten some hits. Um, he you know, saw a beautiful opposite field single uh, the other day um, to kind of like kickstart his rehab assignment. He looks really good. He, I think, rated really well in Japan as a right fielder, I think probably takes some time in addition to the other adjustments he had to make coming over. But I think he'll he'll stabilize at a minimum, right? I think he can be good in right field, but I think he will stabilize that position. So that will be key. But when we're looking back at these first eight games, you know, that's something that really stands out is that, you know, as we talked about, like, the roster construction just isn't leaving a lot of room for error. And when you have multiple guys doing their best, right, at at different positions and trying to be flexible, it's just not the ideal way to win with this You group. do wonder, too, and you question, I think it's fair to question, like some of the logic 
in fielding the current roster as is, knowing that Say is not on the team. So you look at the options these guys have. Master Boney has options, right? You have guys in AAA right now that are natural defenders in the outfield, Nelson Velasquez, for example. And I start to wonder, okay, for the current time being, yes, you want Nelson Velasquez to get everyday playing time. Yes, you want Christopher Morel to get everyday playing time. But, but at the same time, I also want to win games. So I'm starting to think if you have Nelson Velasquez and Christopher Morel on the team, despite their need to play every day, they can go in the outfield, you can have more of a defensive base, and you don't risk losing some of these close games. Like even in this Tyone start, there is a soft hit line drive to right field. Trey Mancini comes in, does not get it. Uh, even in, the, in in Patrick Wisdom's recent start in right field, similar, there's this weekly hit balls to right field. Wisdom's not able to get it. And it's not a, it's, it's not a knock on those guys. They're not natural outfielders. But I start to imagine what if we did have an outfielder on this team? What if you put Nelson Velasquez in right field for a few games and sacrifice some of those daily playing times? What if you put Christopher Morel in the outfield? I don't know, man. Like Christopher Morel in center field, Bellinger in right field just for a few games just to stabilize that defense. Like these are the things I start to wonder. And it's kind of nitpicky. It feels as if I'm nitpicky here. But Mm -hmm. this is just a temporary thing. And then once Sia comes back, sure, man, call up Master Boney. Call up the guys you want to see. Have Nick Madrigal play in, in sparingly time in third base or DH, whatever you want to have. But at least give your pitchers every sense of confidence in the defense. And yeah. for me, don't feel like that. I mean, I I think, you know, not to relate everything to the 2016 that Chicago won the World Cubs Series. who yeah, won the yeah, World yeah, yeah. Series. People forget that, yeah. Um, but that was a team, you saw a lot of guys play a lot of positions, yeah. right? You had Wilson Contreras playing the outfield. You had Ben Zobris playing seven different positions every 30 yeah. minutes, right? Um, and you know, everybody's different in terms of their ability at doing those things. And it's not apples to apples, but that team could score, you know, it was, they they could score, they were a juggernaut. They could deal with that, right? That's why they were doing that because they wanted some guys bats in the game. They wanted to give certain guys a rest. And they also had a staff that 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 got tons of strikeouts. Right. They they could afford to do that. It didn't matter. They were, you know, even if, you know, you throw Wilson in left field and he makes an error. So what? They're still going to win by seven runs now instead of eight. Right. <laughs> Big deal. This team just can't afford yeah. that stuff. And it, it is those little things that you really need to be maximizing. Um, and it's just, you know, again, and I, I think it was put pretty simply from our guy Cody Del Mendo earlier, I think on, on Twitter after the game, like you got to have your best defensive lineup every day. It's just how this team is yeah. built. Uh, they, they have to convert all those balls in play that are capable to be outs. They have to be outs. That's how this team is going to win. That's just the recipe for success. But again, Saya should be coming back very soon. He's going to stabilize a lot of that. And I think, you know, as we go on here, they're, you know, trying some things out, seeing if they can catch some lightning in a bottle with some guys. They want to see what they can do. Uh, and, you know, I would I would think that this team is is going to look different as this season goes on and, uh, you know, they'll make some decisions there. But overall, Brendan, uh, first eight games, yeah, I feel good. I, think I, I, feel, I feel pretty yeah. good. You know, again, like they're, they're going to have to get tighter at certain things. They're going to need better starting pitching performances from the back end of that rotation. Uh, want to see some guys, you know, start to break out a little bit on the offensive side. Uh, Want to see, you know, Cody Bellinger start to get those hits fall, Trey Mancini a little bit more, um, you know, but in general, um, I feel yeah. pretty good about this team in terms of their ability to compete in the way that we hoped they might I'm letting myself feel good about the team right now. It could change in a week, right? But I'm letting myself feel good about the rotation, about Steele, about Stroman, about Wisniewski's velocity. I'm letting myself feel good about Dansby Swanson's plate approach changes, about Ian Happ's success about even Bellinger. We didn't even get to touch on this. Bellinger's making 83% contact, well above league average. I'm going to let myself think about what could be given how Cody Bellinger has played. And, you know, could be wrong in a week. My mind can change as it often does. But in the current moment, four and four, Pitching looks great. Back end of the bullpen, middle of the bullpen. The, the entire bullpen looks awesome, by the way. Multiple inning guys, Keegan, Alzali, Leiter, like they all look good, man. So I'm going to let myself in this current moment feel good about the 4-4 four and four Chicago Cubs. Okay, 
Looking ahead here, we have a series against the Seattle Mariners. More interleague matchups this season. We're going to start here again after the Rangers with the Mariners. Monday, 6.40 p.m. Central Start Time at Wrigley Field. Drew Smiley looking to rebound off that rough start against the Reds. He'll be facing former Red and familiar foe Luis Castillo, who had a great opening start for the Mariners Uh, had a win, did not allow a run. Then on Tuesday, another 6.40 p.m. Central start time. I hate those start times, by the way, Corey. 6.40 p.m., you're killing me. Just make it 7 o'clock. God, uh, Chris Flexen. They don't need to cater to you in San Diego. They should, Corey. I missed the first three innings because of this. Okay. Uh, Chris Flexen for the Mariners. Uh, He had an okay start to debut for the Mariners. Did get a losing decision in the first start. Hayden Wisniewski on the mound for the Cubs. Look for that velocity. Look for that pitch mix against some of the lefty Mariners hitters, maybe more cutters that day from Hayden. Then on Wednesday, a traditional 1.20 p.m. afternoon start time. Marcus on the mound for the Cubs. He'll be facing Logan Gilbert for the Mariners. Mariners right now, 4-6. Cubs stand at an even 4-4. Four and four. This will be a fun series, Corey. Then looking ahead before I just give some of the trends to follow uh, for the week ahead, after the Mariners series, they get an off day on Thursday. They travel to the West Coast, that dreaded West Coast trip to start a series against the Dodgers. No starting pitchers have been announced for those series yet. So we'll see how the early week shapes up. But just from the early Mariners perspective, uh, perspective for this series, looking for the starting pitching to continue to look good. Uh, middle of the of the bullpen, multiple inning guys, how Keegan is deployed, how Javier Assad is deployed. I'm curious about these guys and how often Rosses uses them. Like we saw Assad go multiple innings in that blowout loss on Sunday. I wonder how often they'll rest them. Like, are they going to rest them only for one game? Are they going to rest them for two games and kind of keep them on like a three game type schedule? So I'll be looking for that. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, Cody Bellinger, hoping to get some of those base hits fall also, even Master Boney, like we've been kind of nailing on that right field defense. It's not the guy's fault, but he's had a lot of hard hit uh, uh, batted balls that just have not fallen for base hits. So if he does get the opportunity, I'm hoping he succeeds. Like I like his bat. I like his profile. I like the athleticism. So I'll be looking for him. And then just to keep dialing this in, like Dansby Swanson's play discipline, um, really interested in that. Ian Happ's play discipline, really interested in that. And then seeing how Sei Suzuki's updated oblique feels and maybe best case scenario by the time we talk next week, he's back on the team, Corey. Sounds good by me. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, pretty simple for me. It's early in the season. You know, you want to see guys who have been struggling out the gate do better and guys that have been hot keep it going yeah. right um want, you know again the uh, following Stroh and steel want to see you know the rest of that rotation pick it up uh but this one's pretty simple you win a series here you get into that off day above 500 yeah, so like let's it. do that uh as always we appreciate your guys support cody and luke will be back in studio with you ryan should be out at beautiful historic wrigley field for all of your pre and post game needs on monday for the cubs and mariners be sure to tune in live on the chgo sports youtube channel don't forget to use that code chgo when you sign up at DraftKings, america's top rated sportsbook brendan and i will come to you together next sunday we will be back with you for another week for a recap. live we show appreciate i believe your support Yes, we will be live next Sunday. That is the plan. So that'll be fun. Please join us on YouTube again. You can visit the CHGO Sports YouTube channel for all of your live pre- and post-game needs. We appreciate your support. We will talk to you again next week. And as always, go Cubs.